only drew one issue, and then he disappeared. The Masked Mutant is the most evil comic book villain there is. His mere laugh could reduce his victims to giggling idiots. Look what the mutants say. I'm tracking each one of them. They'll never find me. I've thrown an invisibility curtain around my entire headquarters. Splat Attack, a 90s podcast honoring the slime-filled past. I'm your microwave comic book villain, Brett. And I'm your super stretchy superhero, Alex. And this is... Uh, no. <laughs> Wrong episode, Alex. Now, now, wait. You said that we were going to be doing a versus battle with a comic book theme. We are, but our Kablam! episode is later this season. Oh. Well, uh, then, um... Brett! Yes? With all this talk of comics, heroes, and villains, uh, what sort of action-packed adventures are we having today? Uh, we're actually going to be taking a deep dive into comic book world with a versus battle between Are You Afraid of the Darks, The Tale of the Ghastly Grinner, and Goosebumps, Attack of the Mutant, which are two highly requested episodes for our versus battles we've been having since the start of the podcast. Guys, a little help! What was that? Let me out! Oh, it sounds like it's uh, you know, coming from inside my comic book here. I wonder what would happen if I turn to page thirteen. Open it. Let's see what happens. Oh, oh my gosh! It's like he's popping out. <laughs> well, thanks for getting me out of there. Whoa! Looks like our it's our friend and fellow Nickelodeon fan Zach. How are you, Zach? How are you doing today? Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. Thanks for being here. Uh, now, before we get started, uh, and I've, I've had the great pleasure to be able to get to know Zach a little bit, and Brett has known Zach for quite a while. What are some memories that you have on watching both Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps? Well, as I mentioned previously before the recording, um, always watch Nickelodeon and Fox Kids um, with... Nickelodeon purposes. It was primarily "Are You Afraid of the D- Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Doug, um, "Ah, Real Monsters," Pete and Pete, such. Um, I didn't always catch "Are You Afraid of the Dark" as much as I would like. Didn't always have cable at the time, and then sometimes I didn't find it in time. <laughs> Just you know, TV guides and everything was a different world back then. Uh, but with the Goosebumps was more accessible for me on Saturday mornings on Fox Kids. It was plain and simple. It was on basic cable. So Goosebumps was something I religiously never miss, like, ever. So, um, yeah, basically, that's uh, that's really it that like, I think of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when it came to Goosebumps and Ari for the Dark, I always tune in to see all the episodes as much as possible as well. Um, you know, after school, when I get home, I wait to, like, I don't know, uh, 4.30 when it was on Fox Kids and always caught the intro, jumped over onto the couch, watched it. Uh, definitely watched Mass Mutant growing up, and it was one of the ones that I found really entertaining uh, among the entire series, uh, which ran for four seasons on Fox. And then um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Obviously, I was always 
I was always around for Snick, just waiting for it at the very end as like the the bow to tie up my evening on Saturday nights. And uh, the 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 one I'm going to be defending today is definitely scared me and stood out to me as a kid, like probably as much as Zebo. And I'm sure it's very similar for all the slimesters out there listening, uh, just because it's it's not usual to uh, run into a very colorful, high contrast uh, Joker esque type villain but he he definitely left his impression on me and it he even got me partly into collecting comic books growing up i mean i have a i showed you one of them earlier i even have like a couple other ones around um i I just love the world that it presents through the illustrations because it's it's unlike anything else it's it's not quite a comic strip it's not quite a book but it it has a story full of depth and imagination that i i couldn't put them down so it's it'll be exciting for me to um talk about some of these episodes with you today because it's it's a combination of the best of both worlds with you know horror anthology tv for kids and Mm -hmm. uh comic books yep yep and you know super villains both of them are very colorful um but i will say this neither one of them actually to me were never scary but they were so entertaining and I used to collect comic books when I was a kid, too. And I used to draw a lot. I was a big drawer when I was a kid. Can't do it now. but um, And I've always liked superheroes and stuff. So it's like, it, it, and it, I kind of gravitated towards that, even though, like, Welcome to Camp Nightmare, The Haunted Mask, it's, there's some scarier episodes. Um, same with Are You Free of the Dark? There's some creepier episodes. But I kind of gravitated towards these two uh more just because it was more personal for what I was doing growing up. So um, for sure, I mean, we would even find this weird, there was this huge building that was unmarked um, near the mall. And me and my friend would pretend we're Skipper Matthews and Wilson Clark, and we would ride our bikes and we would sneak into their underground garage and take the elevator up to the top floor. And like, like we would try to avoid the can the security cameras and we went up to the top floor and there was this huge green room with with walled glass and the carpets, walls, everything was green. I was like, oh, my God, it's like the Mass Mutants headquarters if it was green and not blue. And I was like, was... <laughs> but the second time we snuck into the building, we got caught by security. And that was the last time we went there. But the, the magic lasted at least for the first attempt. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a wild story. Imagine going into like a building you're not supposed to go into and it's just love that adventure. I love yeah. that. Ki- I love that kid's adventure, and that's just, I I gravitate towards it. That's why I love it by Stephen King. That's why I like Stranger Things. I love kid horror. I love kids horror adventure films. I love it. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a certain charm to it of just getting your friends and and just making up an adventure on the fly, like in your free time during the day, going outside, seeing what ticks in the world, rather than uh, getting lost in a video game. But, um, you know, to each their own, fantasy is fantasy. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that we're able to have those memories. Absolutely. I never got my treehouse, though. That's the one thing. Neither did I. Neither <laughs> Not, did I. I never got, I never got the treehouse, and I, I never got the Boy Scouts. That was another thing I wanted. I wanted to be a Boy Scout, and I was never – Mom said it couldn't, she couldn't afford it. And I was like, ah. But it's kind of a bummer because I love camping. I like being in the outdoors, so that's kind of – Something that I felt like I got robbed of and the treehouse. So, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to plan a camping trip, Zach, and uh, I'll have to regale you with my stories of Boy Scouts because I did do that as a kid because of Are You Afraid of the Dark. 
and actually became an Eagle Scout, which is the highest rank. So wow, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, there's there's a lot to share there of all the outdoor adventures I've been on. Well, we've already established that Brett is going to be uh, defending Tale of the Ghastly Grinner, which means that Mr. Zek is going to be defending Attack of the Mutant. That's right. The Masked Mutant. <laughs> Zach, you should wear that. Wow. Bravo. You're going nowhere. <laughs> You're not real anymore. Do you remember when you crossed through the entrance of my secret headquarters? That was an that was a projector where it turned your body into tiny dots of ink. You're bringing the heat. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot to um, Are You Afraid of the Dark, but not that good because I have memory issues. Dang, that was good. Um, it actually make, made me really wish if I if I had the spare change to uh, buy a ghastly grinner mask from our buddy Zach Fieldson because he's done a ton of Are You Afraid of the Dark mask mods, and he does exceptional work if you haven't seen him. I haven't. I got this made by uh, Douglas Godino. He made this for me. Nice. Now you said he has uh, an, an Instagram? I, yeah, he has an Instagram, and then he's also on my Facebook friends. If you want to search him up and see if he's doing any commissions, you could ask. Send, send me a link, and uh, because uh, Zach also, uh, we had talked about a minute ago, also has, does wonderful work. So we're going to put a link to both of their Instagrams on uh, the description below. So all of you who are checking it out, and if you checking this episode out, you love Are You Afraid of the Dark, you love Goosebumps, go check both these people out because they're incredibly talented. We want to give them give them some respect but uh before we before we get into our category we've got to officially open things up so get your masks on get your comic books out because it is time for a versus battle kapow let's get ready to All right, so for the categories, uh, obviously our two uh, aficionados are going to be going head-to-head, so I will be judging for this episode. And the categories that we are looking at, as usual, is story, main characters, and of course we've got to look at the villains, uh, especially for these two. Also, we're going to look at the use of comic book theme and the ever-popular lasting appeal. Uh, so before we get into the categories, Brett, do you have some episode info for us? Indeed I do. It wouldn't be a versus battle without it. Uh, so for Are You Afraid of the Dark's The Tale of the Ghastly Grinner, it is Season 4, Episode 9, and it was written by Ron Oliver and directed by Ron Oliver. It aired December 3rd, 1994. Goosebumps Attack of the Mutants. It's a, actually a two-part episode. Um both parts uh, here we have aired September 7th, 1996, uh, back on Fox during the Fox Kids block. Uh, writer was Bill Brown and Dan Angel, and directed by William Fruitt. All right, well, let's get started with story, and we will start with the ghastly grinner. So, Brett, take it away and tell us about the story. Certainly. All righty, so for the tale of the ghastly grinner, the episode opens at the Midnight Society's campsite where Kiki attempts to start the fire. She jokingly grabs for Tucker's comic book to use as kindling, but he protests. 
Betty Ann arrives and takes the comic book, announcing she can use it for her story. Kiki gets the fire going, and Betty Ann begins. The Tale of the Ghastly Grinner. Ethan Wood is a kid who dreams of becoming a comic book artist. After submitting his work to publishers and receiving countless rejection letters, he receives an invitation to the grand opening of a new local comic shop. When he arrives at the store, he's greeted by Frankie, the owner who insists on seeing some of his drawings. She tells Ethan his work reminds her of that of Sylvester Uncas, the great comic book artist who designed the ghastly Grinner. Frankie describes the Grinner as comic book villain so hideous, his laugh can reduce his victims to grinning idiots. She reveals that Uncas disappeared after finishing the Ghastly Grinner's premiere issue. Ethan is intrigued by this lore, and Frankie gives him the last known copy of the first issue for free. Ethan decides to read the comic letter that day in Mr. Wrightson's science class during a lecture on microwaves. Wrightson catches him, takes the Grinner comic, and drops it in the classroom fish tank. Ethan protests, that was one of a kind, to which Mr. Wrightson answers, now it's none of a kind. Hooper Picolero, who's Ethan's classmate, sits across with him in uh, Mr. Wrightson's science class, as she likes to remind everybody, pays attention to this exchange with interest. That afternoon, Ethan arrives at home to lecture from his parents about the dangers of becoming addicted to comics, ironically as they settle in to binge watch TV. Ethan decides to dry off his comic book by using the kitchen microwave, but is called away to answer the phone. Hooper Picolero, who, if you remember, sits across from him in Mr. Rison's science class, is on the other end of the line. She says she sympathizes with Ethan and that their teacher was wrong to take the comic away. The exchange is interrupted by an explosion from Ethan's kitchen. He hurries to the smoke-filled room and pulls the comic from the microwave. It now has a large smoldering hole in it, as does the kitchen door, shaped like a curious character. Ethan's mom approaches, laughing maniacally as blue slime oozes from her mouth. Ethan runs from the room only to find his dad in front of the TV in a similar state. Deciding to flee the house and hide in the bushes, Ethan finds Hooper Picolero, who, in case you've forgotten, sits across from him in Mr. Wrightson's science class. Hooper and Ethan hop on the bus to the comic shop and read the Grinner issue along the way, realizing the comic is detailing their real-life adventure in real time, and their parents have been taken over by the Grinner, as well as the bus driver. Dun-dun-dun! Ethan pulls the emergency brake, causing the vehicle to come to a screeching halt, allowing the kids to run to the rest of their way to their destination. Once at the comic shop, Frankie reveals that the fabled Sylvester Uncas is actually her father. She says he wasn't just drawing comics, he believed he was drawing guidebooks to other worlds. Unfortunately, the Grinner got him before he could finish the final issue depicting the villain's death. Frankie believes Ethan can bring her father back, and defeat the Grinner by finishing the comic. Before the kids can devise a plan, they notice the drip, drip, dripping of the blue ooze on the drawings and look up to find the ghastly Grinner himself towering over them. The maniacal being captures Frankie while Ethan and Hooper flee the scene. The duo then run to school intending to use Mr. Wrightson's microwave experiment to defeat the Grinner. Before they can put their plan into action, Wrightson returns, but so does the Grinner. Ethan attempts to start the microwave, but the Grinner persists, overtaking Wrightson and very nearly capturing Ethan. Hooper thinks quickly, plugs her ears to muffle the evil jester's laughter, then rushes to save Ethan. The kids race back to the comic book shop to seek shelter, where Ethan plans to hide until he finishes Uncas's illustrations. 
Hooper paces the floor as Ethan draws. At some point during the drawing montage, the Grinner has crept back into the store and positioned himself against the wall, unmoving with some of the other cardboard cutouts, in an attempt to blend with the decor. He grabs Hooper, but to his confusion, she doesn't appear to be affected by his evil laughter. Hooper explains in deadpan tone, eh, I, I don't have much a sense of humor. Ethan finishes the comic and distracts the Grinner so that they are both pulled into his drawings. Hooper leaps through the pages as the story unfolds one panel at a time. Ethan finds Uncas and Frankie and attempts to microwave the Grinner within the comic. Just when Ethan believes he has defeated the foe, the Grinner returns in a final attempt to overpower Ethan. Hooper thinks on her feet and finds a large eraser in her pencil case reserved for big mistakes. She uses it to erase the Grinner from the paper. In another explosion, Ethan, Uncas, and Frankie reappear in the flesh, and the great ghastly Grinner is defeated. In the epilogue, Ethan autographs copies of his own graphic novels for the public. Betty Ann reveals in a voiceover that Uncas never drew a co another comic again, but Ethan finally made it into the comics. Gary declares the meeting of the Midnight Society closed and ex extinguishes the fire. Continued next issue, as Betty Ann would say. That's an iconic episode. Love it. Every moment. Yeah. All right. Definitely Question good. for you, Brad, that I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Would this story work better as a two-parter, or does it work best as the breakneck pace that it is right now? That's, that's a really good question. I've never really thought about it expanding into a two-parter. Um, I, I would like some more backstory about the Grinner and more about, like, more issues and other people he's terrorized and just to learn more depth and scope of his power because I don't think we got much of that during the episode. A lot of it is just like reveal of the Grinner, run away from the Grinner, run away from the Grinner again, try yeah. to come up with a plan and then see the plan unfold through the comics. But I think with another part and also a bigger budget, we can actually see what it's like to go into comic book world um, and have like a more epic battle be fleshed out complete with like onomatopoeia sound effects just bursting everywhere and like different powers that we can see the Grinner use. Like I know he has more. He doesn't just show up and laugh. He's got to he's got to be able to do something, ha even have like maybe a, a gun in his arsenal. Just um, we, we need more time for that to breathe. So I think as is right now, it's pretty good. Like it has snappy pacing, uh, really good, really tight editing uh, to keep you invested in the episode. But if given the opportunity, because I know Are for the Dark rarely does multi-parter episodes, um, I feel it would allow the Grinner to show more of his background and give us some more depth to, to like action sequences and backstory for our main character that we would like to see. Yeah, very solid. Uh, Zach, tell us about Attack of the Mutant. Gladly. Uh, Skipper is a kid who is obsessed with comic books, an addiction his dad doesn't approve of. In fact, no one in Skipper's life shares the same passion for comic books and superheroes until one day he meets a self-proclaimed comic book enthusiast named Libby while riding the bus. Skipper questions Libby's taste in comics and the two of them engage in a friendly argument, which causes Skipper to miss his stop. When he gets off the bus, he notices a familiar building, but not one that he's seen in real life. Before him lies the masked mutant's secret headquarters, exactly as it is drawn in the comics, 
Skipper tries to tell his friend Wilson about his discovery at school, but Wilson dismisses the idea that the headquarters is real, deciding that whoever draws the comics must have seen the building downtown and based the drawings off of it. When Skipper returns to the spot, the building had vanished. Later that same day, Skipper receives a Masked Mutants issue in the mail, in which it is revealed that the villain is able to hide his headquarters behind an invisibility curtain. Skipper returns to the site of the building again, and is surprised to find Libby there. He tells her about the invisibility curtain theory, and she dismisses him, saying, Now I know why they call you Skipper. When they handed out brains, you got skipped. But Skipper sticks to his convictions, explaining that the invisibility curtain works like walking through a smokescreen, and they'll be able to see the building once they step through. They walk towards where the building should be, and it appears. Just like Skipper said, Libby had reservations about going inside, but Skipper insists that they must investigate. Once in the building, Skipper feels the zap of an electrical beam, which causes him momentary discomfort, but he is able to brush it off and continue on. Skipper and Libby happen to cross an elevator and hit the button for the top floor, but it takes them to the basement instead. Skipper comments he doesn't feel well, kinda tingy, he loses track of Libby as they explore, and he finds a room containing a drawing boards and renderings of the League of Good Guys from the comics. When he turns through the pages, however, Skipper finds several illustrations of himself. He hears someone behind him, turns, and comes face to face with the masked mutant. The end of part one. Part two begins where we left off. The masked mutant that Skipper sees is revealed to be Libby trying to scare him with a life-size cardboard cutout. Skipper tries to show Libby the drawings he found, but they had disappeared. The kids decide to leave the building, and as they turn away, the cardboard cutout's eyes glow in eerie yellow. That night at dinner, Skipper's dad continues his pointed conversation about how comics cause kids to live in a fantasy world. We see his dad from Skipper's POV, with a comic book filler overlay. Skipper blinks away the hallucination for the time being, but his vision distorts again later that night when his dad hands him the new Masked Mutants comic that came in the mail. Skipper opens the comic and notices a panel which the Galloping Gazelle announces, Only the boy could save the world from the Masked Mutants' evil, but where is he? Skipper thinks that the fantasy world his dad spoke of is quickly becoming reality. He hops back onto the bus on his way again to the Masked Mutants headquarters. He steps through the invisibility curtain and wanders into the building. A sinister laugh echoes through the halls as Skipper clutches his comic book and takes the elevator into the heart of the headquarters. Where he finds Batman, no, Adam West, no, the Galloping Gazelle has been captured. What took you so long? The gazelle asks. Don't you know you have to help me save the world? Skipper unties the gazelle, who radios the League of Good Guys, and the two of them head to the control room. According to the gazelle, the mutant's control room isn't nearly as impressive as the one in the League of Good Guys has. Theirs has a soft drink machine. The gazelle wants to wait for the mutant to appear so he could defeat him, so he sits down only his chair is actually the masked mutant in disguise. The gazelle attempts to defeat the mutant in a literal whirlwind, but his efforts are ineffective. 
The mutant grabs for Skipper, and the gazelle comments, I'm too old for this superhero stuff. You're on your own, kid. Skipper attempts to distract the masked mutant until their exchange is interrupted when Libby appears from the elevator. When Skipper turns his attention from Libby back to the mutant, the mutant is gone. He could be anything. He could even be me, Libby says. There is no Libby. There never was, she continues. And the masked mutant takes his true form once again. The mutant reveals he saw Skipper on the bus and knew he wanted to turn him into a comic book character, since good characters are hard to find. Skipper protests that he's real and not a fictional character. But the mutant reveals that the beam of light that Skipper encountered his first time in the building was a scanner that transformed him into tiny dots of ink. Thinking on his feet, Skipper lies to the masked mutant, saying he's not Skipper. He's the Colossal Elastic Boy. And there's only one way to destroy Elastic Boy, with sulfuric acid. The mutant responds by transforming himself into acid, hoping to destroy Skipper in the process. But once the mutant turns into a liquid, he's dead. He melts into the floor, leaving Skipper to laugh in victory. The next day, a comic comes in the mail, but Skipper is unusually disinterested. His mom approaches him, concerned. She notices he has ink on his hand, and she tries to help him scrub it off. Skipper pulls away and walks into the other room, but his mom is still holding his hand. When she lets go, Skipper's newly elastic arm snakes back across the house. And we see he had indeed transformed into Elastic Boy, the hero he claimed to be the night before, and the one in the comic that came in the mail that day. End of episode. That is a killer Adam West impersonation. <laughs> I mean, that is dead on. Oh, yeah. I could do more, but yeah, well, yeah keep, go ahead. <laughs> That's right. Keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, question for you. Uh, put you a bit on the spot as well. It kind of in the same vein as what I had for Brett, but if you had to condense this episode into one part, how would you cut it? I wouldn't cut it. I think, like Brett was saying about his, I think. Brett's episode deserved two parts. I think we, there was a lot of history and a lot of background about, about the ghastly grinner that we know nothing about. All we know is that he's evil and, and the artist was taken from him, blah, blah, blah. But that's it. There's no details. There's no background, no history. You know what I mean? Um, I would not condense uh, Attack of the, Mut the Mutant at all. Um, I wish it could be longer. I actually believe a sequel is entitled to it because in that uh, Goosebumps um, app game, um, I forgot what it's called, the the game that everybody was playing for Goosebumps. Uh, the Masked Mutant lives. Mm. He comes back in that game on the, it's a phone app, it's a game for Goosebumps, I forgot what it's called. Um, but the Masked Mutant actually survives, technically, according to the game that came out on, on, the, on cell phones. So, I actually, I'm such a big fan of Attack of the Mutant. I actually wrote a sequel myself and narrated it, and it's not super long, but but I titled it Return of the Mutant. Um, so I don't know how that happens, but I believed it needed a sequel because it was too good. The book was too good to just have it end just like that, in my opinion. But there's no mm -hmm. way there's no way you could shorten that. If anything, you need, you need to expand it more. There's so much more going on from from the League of Good Guys. We know literally nothing about that superhero crew. Uh, we know, you know, Galloping Gazelle. And then there's a whole nother tree 
there's a whole other door of direction that we could take with the Elastic Boy. Um, and then, you know, the mass, the mass Mutant himself. There's so much that you, more you could learn about him. So, yeah, there's no way you could shorten that. All right. Well, let's move on to main characters and uh, slash heroes. Uh, Brett, tell us about the uh, characters, the main character from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Sure. Uh, well, of course, we got the titular Ethan and Hooper dynamic duo going on here from uh, Mr. Rice, Mr. Wrightson's class. Uh, Ethan is uh, he's he's kind of a recluse, kind of an outsider. Uh, he spends all day in his room drawing, applying to comic book companies, hoping that his work is good enough to be accepted. And you know, he's dealing with some self-esteem issues. But when uh, he he meets Frankie at the comic book shop. He's, he's encouraged to like keep drawing and keep doing stuff, especially from Hooper as well. Um, giving him enough, you know, kind of spirit to finish the panels at the end of the episode where he has that climactic battle with the Grinner inside the comic book pages, so to speak. Um, he's, he's very down to earth character. He doesn't have like too much range of emotion. Um, you know, his face is fairly deadpan most of the time, but, I do like all the situations that he gets into and uh, how how he interacts with them, especially with like the scenes at home where he's he's talking to his parents, which remind me a lot of the parents from Matilda in some way, just kind of yeah, not really taking good care of themselves and giving their brains to TV. Um, and then you have Hooper, who's like this very intelligent sidekick, who's cunning, witty. She's fast on her feet. She's got this lovely 1950s aesthetic that I, I feel is somehow out of place, but yet not at the same time. And uh, she, does, she does good to balance uh, Ethan with his like scatterbrained mind and keeping him focused and on track. And uh, they, they work pretty well together to eventually defeat the Grinner, even if they do have to do a lot of like back and forth and traveling all around the town uh, just to come up with different ways to uh, find his weakness. So, you know, even even if they don't have the right answer right up in, at the front, they're very persistent. And, you know, even to the end, when Ethan becomes successful due to his uh, encounter with the Grinner and makes his own comic book uh, titled Ethan, uh, Hooper's right there by his side and even wearing uh, all black to kind of show her respect to Ethan now that he's a successful comic book creator. Hooper totally saved Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If she didn't erase that at the end, he was screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about the main characters for Goosebumps. All right. Well, we have uh, Bradley Skipper Matthews, the main character, a 12-year-old boy super comic book enthusiast um die hard um franklin middle school he has a friend uh, named wilson clark that in the episode collects rocks but in the book he collects rubber stamps um who's very skeptical doesn't believe him his parents don't believe him it was make-believe a hobby he, he was a collector silver swan issue number one blah 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 but uh until when he sees the when he sees the headquarters that's when reality starts to be questionable at that point uh the galloping gazelle is also a, the second main character uh because he's the initial superhero one uh a comic book that skipper also collects and reads also involved with the mass mutant series as well as good versus evil and then he actually meets him later on down and um the second episode or part two of uh attack of the mutant so uh superhero league of good guys 
and he's kind of a uh, over the hill, you know, as the mass mutant says. Uh, he's kind of the leader of the the League of Good Guys, and unfortunately, they didn't have good cell phone reception, or else, you know, again, if they did, they could have made a part three and had the other guys show up to help out, you know, but yeah, those are the two main people uh, for this book itself, but yeah, there's so much more that could go into this, but those are the, those are the two main characters as far as heroes. And the, the galloping gazelle retired and became principal of Wellsville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> principal <laughs> Schwinger. <laughs> Uh, question and they the... became mayor of Quahog. I was just about to say that. You took it out of my mouth. <laughs> He's lived quite the quite the life in um, and, suburbia. And, and he was Batman in his youth, you know. So you know, no big deal. You know, <laughs> no de- He's done it all, man. Yeah. He's got the resume. Yeah. <laughs> well, question for both of you, and if this is a bit too personal, you don't have to answer. But a trope that we see a lot, uh, especially for main characters, whenever the comic books are involved, especially in the '90s, was parents would completely dog the kids for reading comic books. Have you ever experienced something similar where you had family, friends, teachers who would dog you for doing something you were passionate about? Yes. Comic books. Uh, Even comic strip books. Um, I'm a very visual person and even though I can read like just word books just fine, um, I'm always fascinated by pictures in books, whether it's comic books, comic strip books, graphic novels, you name it. And it, it really helps me engage with the story uh, in addition to just having that space to admire all the art. And that's part of the reason why I got into Goosebumps books, because Tim Jacobus, what an artistic legend. Like, I love all those covers, especially for Attack of the Mutant with that, that action pose of the mutant coming forth from his secret lair with the, like wild fence and the hazy dusk uh atmospheric color it's it's beautiful you can't get that from words alone and in elementary school i used to get my goosebumps books taken away from me because i would just get lost staring into them and other books too like uh the garfield comic strip books i would get from book fairs and the library so I, I didn't always feel understood that i liked these types of books but it helped me appreciate them so much more because it it painted a whole world um, through its visuals that I could understand so much better than that words could not do on their own. Um, I don't remember the teachers ever messing with me, but I know in elementary school, I probably until I was 13, I never went anywhere without a Goosebumps book in my hand. I mean, even in the bathroom, I had it with me. Like I, n- I never let it down. And when I finished one, I grabbed another one. I was very biased. I, ju- I judged everything based off the cover. Um, and we would in second grade, I think we were trading them like cards. We were trading books, like I'll trade this for that. You know, we would trade them and it was 20, it was straight up goosebumps central when it came to the books. Um, and I just fell in love with attack of the mutants cover. Cause it just had a Batman vibe to it. And even, even on the cover says he's no superhero, he's a super villain. And then, you know, even though the top level, you know, where the mass mutant battles, the galloping gazelle and all that good stuff. It's actually on the 46 story, if I'm not mistaken, but the book and the episode, (laughs) there's not 46 stories there. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're missing a few, they're, they're missing a few levels, but, uh, um, and it's supposed to be pink, not blue. Um, but, uh, in general, yeah, I had that book. I was reading it at night 
And then when I wasn't reading reading the books, I had the audio tapes. I was listening listening to those all the time at nighttime on my little boombox by my bed. So I was hardcore Goosebumps, and I watched Starry Afraid of the Dark as much as I could when when I could. Um, loved both, but I think Goosebumps was just more accessible for me. Um, but for sure, yeah. No, I don't remember the teachers messing with us. I don't remember. I mean, they would tell us to put them put it away, but I don't remember them ever taking the books from me. I would I would raise hell if they tried to do that. Never had so. one take away from you and then put it in the aquarium. No, <laughs> no, and then put it in the microwave and see if the mutant comes back. Yeah, <laughs> right. Who, who would have thought? Or you can bring other Goosebump books to life after you get them wet and put them in the microwave. Uh, a boy can dream. Yeah. I, w- <laughs> while you're saying that. It actually reminds me of this time where I got uh, like a good stack of my Goosebumps 2000s books taken away from me in fifth grade. Like, there's a period where I was just so obsessed with them in fifth grade, and my teacher was relatively strict about breaking the rules. Mm. So she took my entire stack away, and she said, "The whole stack." Uh, she, yeah, she was like, "No, you you can't have these until you be responsible in class." And then I told my mom about, it and we had to go after school, and she had to convince you know her that i i kind of need these books for visual stimulation so that i can pay attention and we ended up getting them back but it it wasn't until like a couple of days so it it felt it felt like a piece of me was taken away when that happened but at least i recover them and then you know full circle i mentioned in previous are you for the dark versus goosebumps episodes we've done on this podcast that one of my friends her name is Catherine. um she grew up uh with me in my hometown and she became an elementary school teacher. And out of the goodness of my own heart, when I reconnected with her, I donated my entire collection to her class because she didn't have any books. And she was just starting out as a teacher. And I said, well, this made me happy during elementary school. And you know about that because you used to ride the bus with me. Here, inspire other young minds to get into Goosebumps too. At least I can yeah. do something good for you there. You just helped kickstart the future generation of Goosebumpers. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone was in Miss Post's um, elementary school class, come find me. I'd like to hear how uh, my books influenced you. <laughs> I'm really, really excited because I went and took Sam to his, oh gosh, fourth grade. Uh, that that hurts me class. And uh, there was two, two big shelves full of books and bottom old roar, nothing but goosebumps. I was like, look, Sam, there's goosebumps right there. And he was all excited. <laughs> uh, we've, we've got to discuss villains. Uh, this might be the, the big heavyweight for, for this particular versus battle. So Brett, tell us about the ghastly grinner coming in, swinging yellow and blue for both sides. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Where do I even start with uh, technically with yeah, legend. Same colors? Yeah. Yeah. Just inverted more or less. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this guy is just about as iconic as the Joker from Batman, the animated series, I'd say. I mean, he's got a iconic laugh. He will reduce all of his victims to putty while drooling melted blue jello, assumedly. <laughs> um, he. He's, he's got a very high contrast look. He's, he's based off of like a court jester, which really works for him. He's got this cape. Uh, he's got massive amounts of wrinkles on his face. Like he must be really <laughs> laughing nonstop to, to really etch those into his forehead and, mm-hmm. and smile lines and whatnot, but it works for him. 
And uh, he's just he's just got that kind of off kilter look on his face where if you if you cross his path, you're in deep trouble. Like, you know, kind of like a serial killer looks at someone and he enjoys murdering people. He's just going to approach you once he's got your ice locked in and, uh, you know, going in for the kill, as he did with, uh, you know, Frankie and uh, the parents and even the bus driver, which freaked me out. Um, I don't know much too much about his powers other than his ability to just render render anyone he touches into an idiot. If they, that just, if they hear him laughing, he makes him into an idiot. Yeah, yeah pretty much, pretty much. Um, I, I, I want to see more of his powers, but he, he just runs around turning people into laughing, drooling idiots. Um, don't really know how else to describe it. I mean, he's, he was created by Sylvester, bleh, Sylvester Uncas, which I guess you can make a comparison to Jack Kirby, who's one of the great uh, superhero comic book illustrators of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, so I guess there's kind of some built-in lore there. But um, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about him. All, all you need to know is really is in his look and how he affects the people he touches. Tell us about the uh, mutant. I will. Uh, Sylvester Umkiss has nothing on Jimmy Steranko, though. <laughs> Throwing it out there. Says this is a versus. We got to keep watching. Hey, Adrian. Yeah. Yo, Adrian. Uh, hey. Hey. Uh, so, Mass Mutant slash Libby. Libby is the mutant, just disguised. Uh, he is a shapeshifter. He can shapeshift into anything solid uh, by moving his molecules around. Based off the episode, it almost seems like he could teleport from place to place, too, while changing his shape as well, because one minute he's over here, next next thing you know, Libby's coming out from the elevator. And How'd that happen? He must have teleported somehow. But uh, he's built. He's He looks pretty ripped to me. Um, um, he's cunning. He's an evil villain. You could tell he's been doing this for a very long time. He wants to take over the world. Um, the, the simple fact that he can't get caught and that he could shapeshift into anything from that giant octopus squid from the comic book, from the TV show, he could transform himself into anyone or anything from creature, dinosaur, someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like he could become anything he wants to be as long as it's not liquid, which is how he met his demise when Skipper tricked him because he wasn't paying attention. Um, but physically and just knowing that he has so much great power um he is the ultimate villain and in regards to the ghastly grinner if we're going if we're going are we doing the versus thing here mm -hmm. okay um you know a good set of earmuffs or just like hooper had she put some kleenex in her ears he ain't gonna hear the laughter it ain't gonna phase him he's gonna kick his a you know, there's just not. I mean, he can laugh all he wants, but if he can't hear nothing, he's swinging and and the and the clown's going down like a bobblehead out of a, a jack of the box. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he could shapeshift, and each swing could be a different monster or person that he wants. I don't know. Like I, the ghastly grinner is spook. It's, it's spooky, but I think he's on a. He's not on the level that the mutants on. You, you could argue that, but also once you know the the mass mutant's weakness, you can easily trick him to turn to anything that could be a liquid state. True, but he's already he's, he won't fall for the same thing twice. Mm. 
So if he does live somehow past the first book with with Skipper, because according to that app on the video game, he does. I don't think he's going to make that mistake. If he does, then yeah, the Grinner could eventually win if he's able to somehow tr able to make him turn himself because he can't make him turn. The mass mutant has to turn himself into a liquid. So unless you can't trick him or force him to do that, which he won't, there's no way to beat him. Um, he's just got too much going for him. He's got too much on his on his resume. Um, I just don't think the clown can hack it. I I, I kind of want to see the mass mutant now just be reduced to a drooling idiot with blue goo. That'd be a great sticker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a, a like a some sort of crossover <laughs> or a, or a picture of half and half half a half grinner half mutant picture. That'd be right. cool. Yeah, that'd be the really mass cool. grinner. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to comic book theme. Brett, take it away. I mean, this thing is oozing comic book theme from start to finish. It, <laughs> it, it, it feels, yeah, you see what I did there? <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's about comics. It's about a comic book artist who's trying to become a famous comic book artist and getting rejected. The location takes place predominantly at a comic book store. You got various comic book characters and comic books being mentioned by Frankie when Ethan first, um, you know, in, uh, interacts with Ethan. You've got, um, you know, Ethan drawing comic book panels for on, on Bristol board, uh, which is the stuff that artists, comic book artists, draw on before it's scanned into comic book paper. Uh, you got. Uh, I mean, the Ghastly Grinner, he's comic book themed because he's a villain from a comic book and he's got his own comic book, which we see. And I, I really appreciate how there's a lot of replicas of it floating around the Internet. But it also annoys me that none of the replicas actually have pages that were seen from the show. Mostly it's just like the front cover and the back cover, but nothing's inside. So uh, anyone listening to this podcast who's really diehard uh are you afraid of the dark fan and also has attention for detail? I challenge you to put some of those pages in that we see in the episode into a Gassy Grinner comic replica. Uh, other than that, uh, I, I, you, you also have the transitions in between scenes where it's playing like a weird guitar chord, like kind of mystery science theater 3000 style uh, with the panels of the characters to kind of help separate things and give the feel that you're, you're living in a comic book, at least, you know, by nineties standards. Uh, and you got just a lot of erratic, crazy, wild action going on, like the bus swerving around like crazy. You got um, all the panels of various scenes being illustrated as they're looking at the comic book to mirror what's happening in the in real life footage. So uh, I would say it's as comic book as as it can get for an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Tell us about Goosebumps. Well, um, according to the TV show, it's Ernie Atwater, but in the book, it's uh, Jimmy Starenko. But I guess two in the same. Why they changed the name for the episode from the book, I'm not really sure. But um, just like the Ghastly Grinner, both of these are based off supervillain comic book characters. Both of them are very colorful. They share a lot of the same colors. Completely different story and background and powers um, overall. Um, with the mass mutant, same kind of thing. Like, like prior to the prior to the microwave, with this situation with the mass mutants comic books, it was already real. Um, it was just it's almost like a different reality. Like somehow, 
the mass mutant was in disguise as Libby Zax, looking for that next foe. Because uh, he says it's so hard to find good foes for my comics. Um, so hard. But uh, so he, he found Skipper when he realized, hey, this guy knows everything about me, you know. So and then he was scoping him out in school, you know, behind the bushes, you know. So it's uh, he's been around. He's just been in disguise. Hence, he could change his molecules into anything and anyone. So he's been around in our in our world. And no one even knows that these comic book heroes and villains exist because they're like undercover somehow. Um, and like the comics come to life when Skipper finds drawings of himself and he even sees the future of himself going back into there to save the galloping gazelle. It's like stuff that's written that's he's going to do before he even knows he's going to do it, you know? So it's very comic booky big time. Um, both of them. Uh, they're both good. They both, they have, they, they definitely both have a lot of similarities. Uh, they're both very colorful. They're both very dark. Um, and the mutant is just one bad dude. It's very Chuck Shirley. I'm sitting in a laundromat reading about myself, sitting in a laundromat reading about myself. My head hurts. It's going to be something this guy's not telling us. Sam tossed his gigantic darks into the machine. He was starting to have doubts about Chuck, about whether he was telling the whole truth. Stop it. Stop it, Sam said. Guess what you do next? Sam turned his back on Dean, his face brooding and pensive. I mean, I don't know how he's doing it, but this guy is doing it. I can't see your face, but those are definitely your brooding and pensive shoulders. You just thought I was a dick. Good. All right. Well, let's finish up with uh, lasting appeal. So, Brett, tell us about Are You the Dark? Yeah. I mean, the show itself is pretty lasting. Uh, still, new fans are finding it even today. And come on, it's the Ghastly Grinner. He's one of two of the most iconic poster boys of the entire show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually him and Zebo that come into conversation for anybody. Uh, whenever Are You Fair the Dark is mentioned, and I think it's just due to his design and and his like personality that really stick into people's minds. You know, you got the laugh, you got the high contrast colors, you've got the ridiculous premise of him reducing, you know, people's brains to mush. Um, it's just a fun-looking villainous evil character, and that really resonates with people. And sometimes you don't need something complicated to to have it stick in you know the minds of 90s kids and um you can still recall it even after all these days i mean even when i did my book scary tales um and even like the stickers like i've been showing pre-episode i just can't get enough of drawing him it's just a really fun character design like this jester that's going on a rampage from who knows where he originated and uh, I think because there's so much mystery shrouding him, it leaves a lot open for opportunity for people to expand upon, you know, his background, his abilities, uh, story. You know, heck, uh, I've, I've even seen people make action figures as masks and masks of the Ghastly Grinner, as we've seen before. So, you know, go, go anywhere on Instagram or other um, social media pages, type in Ghastly Grinner. You're going to see oodles and oodles of stuff just made as tribute to him, even though... He's not that like deep of a, of a villain, but he's still beloved by the Are You Fair the Dark community. 
He just gave up the whole verses right there, but go ahead. Gave it up? What do you mean? You just admitted that he's not that tough. <laughs> no, he doesn't have a deep personality, but he's Old well beloved. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know much about him and his origins, but. Yet. Everyone who's everyone knows who the Ghastly Grinner is, even if you haven't even watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? True. He's, he's just an, that he's ubiquitous. A, he, he's the slappy of goosebumps. Yes. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I would like, I mean, are you finished up? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, I was going to say, I, both both yours and mine, I would love, it will never happen, but I would love to see a theatrical rated R version of both of these in theaters. Like that would Kind of be- like Freddy versus Jason, but Grinner versus Mutant. I, well, I would like to see each of them have their own movie first, but yeah, there would that would be nice to have a Freddy vs. Jason style as well. But I would love to see more more about the Grinner and more about the mutant and the, and the League of Good Guys. Just in general, there's so much. There's a whole other world of of of, of a. Uh, you could make a trilogy of each one of these. I feel like we're wasting too much of our our public money on Marvel reboots and remakes, and not I'm over. I'm over this. those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so there's so much '90s. Uh, awesomeness that they're just ignoring that's being back shelved um you know like um superheroes that people don't even really care about like the blue beetle who the hell is that you know i don't even know who that is um <laughs> right I, I mean i'm not i know i'm not the only one but i'm like who cares i don't even i beetleborgs i know what that is but I don't yeah know what the, big bad beetleborgs i don't i don't know what blue beetle is i'm like i'm no. that red one you know no, but, there was a blue beetle in big bad beetleborgs though in the first yeah. season <laughs> but i'm saying it's like instead of doing that why don't they figure out who owns the rights you know to some of these stuff and actually make something legit from the 90s that everybody knows about <sighs> because when hollywood is running out of yeah, yeah when, they uh, run of ideas years ago. <laughs> yeah, and the problem is they won't give money to the people who have the ideas like us. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, as far as the lasting appeal, ladies and gentlemen, Adam West. That's right, a superhero. <laughs> Beware evil, for I have a cometh. Um, but yeah, for sure, Adam West. He is a icon beyond belief. We've already talked about all the other stuff he's done in this past. Rest in peace. Um, but he's the perfect superhero for, I mean, for, you couldn't have picked anybody else for the Galloping Gazelle. Even even when I was a kid, I knew it was Adam West from watching Batman. Bam! You know, like I knew who Adam West was. So when I saw him in a superhero outfit in the, and as the Galloping Gazelle, I'm like, that's freaking Adam West. That's awesome. You know, I knew who he was and he was so, he did such a good job. In the book, the Galloping Gazelle was a wussy. Um just in general he totally messed everything up at the end in the tv show he wasn't even circling around the mass mutant like a like creating a whirlwind tornado like it says in the book when he gets tripped in the tv show he's just running in circles around the room not even by the mutant so that was kind of corny for me but you know again it's low budget but um can't be that low you had adam west on there so <laughs> they spent it all on him i was like he can't, he wasn't cheap um but uh yeah, he left a 12-year-old boy to defend the world, you know, because he figures he's too old for the superhero stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he was the icon of it for sure. Um, and actually, the guy who played the Masked Mutant was the uh, the city worker contractor with the with the yellow hard hat from uh, Welcome to Dead House episode, if you remember that. The Masked Mutant actually plays the character of the skinny construction worker that says, I want to eat him. He's a little, he has, like, a hard hat on. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that's him. So he's been in more than one episode on Goosebumps. Um, that's the only other one I could think of at the top of my head. But yeah, Adam West for sure. I mean, absolutely. All right. Well, all of the uh, arguments have been submitted. And I'm going to ponder over this for just a moment. So while I think about which one is going to take the uh, take the whole comic home, we're going to take a quick commercial break and see what's going on in the world of Splat Attack as well as what's going on in Zek's Nick of the Woods. And we'll be right back. I'll be right back after these messages. I got my eye on you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Versus Battle. And before we get to our villainous conclusion, please hit the like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please leave us a review. Uh, it's not a very villainous thing. It's a very heroic thing to do these very simple actions for us. They help others to find us and helps YouTube keep using that algorithm that it absolutely loves to use. Uh, thank you so much for all of your support. You guys are awesome. Campfire Tales, where there is no better place for a scary story than around the campfire in the dark forest. Email your scary story to ZachBabyTV at gmail.com. Tune in next time, Slimesters, when we head back to PS118 for a review of not one, not two, but three of our favorite Hey Arnold episodes with a very special guest. This is an extremely heartfelt assortment of episodes for me, and I'm sure if you guess which ones I'm referencing, as they will be heartfelt for you. Hint, it involves Arnold's backstory and a curious leather-bound journal. You can find all the retrorific action here, only on Splat Attack. Are you frustrated that Nick Box is no longer a thing and still looking for that sweet, sweet merch to represent your childhood? Well, since we're talking Ghastly Grinner, we've got you covered. Over on our bonfire page, we do have a shirt for both Ghastly Grinner and for Zebo, along with a plethora of other 90s Nickelodeon shirts, including Snick and Roundhouse and Clarissa Explains It All, among others. And, of course, some Splat Attack merch if you would like to just sponsor us uh, you can find all this on our bonfire at bonfire.com slash store slash splat attack store the gackoids have spoken with the gackoids choice over on our patreon our gackoids have chosen the episode clarissa explains it all road trip for an episode review both brett and i are joined by writer of clarissa alan goodman you will only find this episode on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack to get access to this episode as well as a backlog of all of our previous episodes. Speaking of Patreon, Splat Attack has turned two years old. And as a thank you to all of you for all your support, we are giving three episodes to you for free. You get the top five favorite birthday episodes. You get the Little Bear, Snowball, and Winter Solstice episode reviews with the voice of Little Bear herself. And also, Are You Afraid of the Dark Tale 
of the Super Specs review, also with the one and only Sardo. You will find these for free in the description below. And if you enjoy what you see, please continue and please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You're watching Nickelodeon. Now back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? All right. We are back. We got a lot. So I'm going to breeze through these as quick as I can. Uh, so starting with story, uh, if you really pay attention, both of these stories have a lot, a lot of similarities. Uh, parents who don't agree with the comic books, teachers who don't agree with the comic books, although there's less teacher uh, on uh, uh, Goosebumps. But uh, the nerdy friend who offers some assistance, a terrifying bus driver, or a t terrifying experience on the bus, uh, and then... Uh, I was going to say, the mass mutant is the bus driver. Yes. You know, okay, yes. go ahead. Just like it, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and then uh, coming face to face with the villains of the episodes, I was going to say monsters, but that's not right, with the, with the villains, and then the face-off. Now, one obviously had more time than the other, but the basic plot points are there where they're still very, very similar. I think the only thing that one gets fleshed out more than the other is how the creature, how the villain comes into play. Uh, you get more of that on Are You Afraid of the Dark than you do on Goosebumps. But uh, in terms of, of story, uh, outside of the basic bullet points that both of them hit, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark is very breakneck pace, which it has to because it has less time to tell the story. And we've talked about that before, uh, the, because it can really help or really hurt either one of these stories. Um, for example, the uh, um, Horror Land, the Day at Horror Land. Uh, part one was really solid, and then part two was just really silly. Uh, the extra screen time really didn't help it very much but it really helped with uh, Are You Afraid of the Darks episodes for the most part, because they have to be very concise. This one I felt really padded or really crammed everything in, and it really did need more room to breathe. Uh, it, it had a great introduction for the character. It had great introduction for our main characters. Mm -hmm. uh, the kid had a freaking pinball in his bedroom. Yeah, I saw that. Is that cool? <laughs> and, and you have these parents? Your parents are not making that much money. And clearly this kid's not making much money either because no one's hiring him. And first of all, what kid is going to be? Anyway, uh, trying to submit. <laughs> that would have killed that art set. <laughs> right. But uh, but after you got that good setup and then you had you the gas the Grinner put in, everything was so fast. And it was also very repetitive. Uh, where it was, guess the Grinner shows up, run away. Guess the Grinner shows up, run away. Guess the Grinner shows up, run away. But the time span between each segment was 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 too long. Why is the Guess the Grinner taking so long to attack again? And uh, well, I'll get to that whenever I get to main characters in a minute. But uh, whereas Goosebumps, at a lot of times that second story or that second part really slows things down or takes a complete shift and doesn't work and uh something that we've always said is are you afraid of the dark is often very serious 
very seldom is it goofy and silly, at least intentionally. Uh, and Goosebumps is usually far more campy and silly, which is a big reason why within the 90s demographic, now, Are You Afraid of the Dark is often considered the better orchestrated show. But whenever you're doing comic book villains and comic book things, it's a perfect wheelhouse for Goosebumps because it's already got that camp going for it anyway. Then you throw Adam West in there, and of course it's going to help out anyway. But the camp really wasn't in that first half. It, was, it wasn't in part one. It, they played it mostly very serious. And then uh, part two, then you got the campy factor because now you got the villain who's there the whole time. And you've also got Adam West. But we didn't get the cool setup for the gas, not the gas, the masked, uh, the masked mutant. He just kind of shows up. How he shows up, I don't know. But we've also got the uh, the two main characters, uh, the the main character with his uh, nerd friend, but his nerd friend is making a whole lot more sense with some of the things that uh, could possibly be going on, whereas uh, not so much the case over on Are You Afraid of the Dark? But then you've also got more time at the end for that big conflict between the hero and the villain, and you actually get to see very clearly what the villain's abilities are. Uh, they make it very clear, very fast, that he's a shapeshifter and that he's a teleporter. Whereas Gas the Grinner, the only thing that we're told is with a single laugh, he can melt your brain, essentially, essentially become a mindless goon. But that, that that's all. Uh, we do see that he has a bit of super strength because he picked up the uh, the, the girl from... Frankie. Uh, yeah, Frankie, with one hand. And even and the pixel. Up, yeah. And, and and then also held held the one girl up by her pigtails, but uh, but the, it's not clear fully what his capabilities are. And also, you 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 don't get a proper ending on Are You Afraid of the Dark because it's just it's the cop out. Yeah, they didn't really explain how he got destroyed. It's just comic book sheets, and even the comic book sheets that there's like one comic panel that was used like three times in a row. Uh, during their quick montage of seeing the different things. And that's not as cool. I understand budget and I understand time, but that's also why, I mean, if you can do part two of Cutter's Treasure, you, you could have done a part two of this one. And, and it really needed it. Uh, and I think uh, for that reason, just because it was such a rushed ending and kind of a cop-out ending and not as clear as to what Gasly Gunner could do, whereas it was very clear what Mass Mutant could do. For story, I'm going with Goosebumps. Uh, characters. There are things about char- both of these characters I like and dislike. Uh, I really was not a big fan of Ethan, but I think a big part of that is less to do with the, the character arc and the character personalities, and more just the, the child performer, because he was kind of bland. His performance was kind of bland. But also, so was Goosebumps. Uh, he was pretty bland, too, for the most part. Uh, but uh, whereas Goosebumps... I'm sorry, not Goosebumps. Are you afraid of the dark? I like the idea of a kid wanting to be an amazing artist. And I've been there before. Whenever I'm trying to draw something and I know what I'm capable of, but it's not. I'm not happy with it, but everyone else is going... 
man, I can't even draw a stick figure because I know Brett's been there before. Where Too many times. In, in, as an artist, you're very particular and you're very judgmental of your own work, but other people see your artwork and think it's amazing. It, it really takes another artist to really point out things that other artists are doing and, and really be able to draw <laughs> draw from that. Uh, so I like I like that because that was something that I struggled with when I was a, when I was a kid because I used to get jealous of other kids who could draw better than I could and and I wasn't bad I was very good but I wasn't as good as them and I wanted to learn from them but I was too I, I was too self-centered to ask them for help instead it was just I got jealous but but I got that but also over on Goosebumps, there's no artistry there. It's just a kid who collects comic books. And I was there too. Uh, thankfully, I didn't have those parents. My parents were very encouraging. We'd go to a, a flea markets and I'd see some for a couple bucks and my parents would buy them for me and I'd read them. As long as I wasn't uh, getting lost in it constantly. And that was my, I, I, my whole world was here in the comic books, which is what I liked that the parents had a hard time with on Goosebumps. Over on Are You Afraid of the Dark, the, par the, the teacher just thought it was tripe and threw it away. Whereas over at Goosebumps, the parents really didn't care that much. Uh, but uh, what they really cared about was he's spending more time with comics than other things. That was their concern. Not that, Goose not that comics were bad, just there, there are other things too. There, there is life. You need to enjoy life also. Uh, it was a bit silly whenever he got excited. The dad got excited about the fact that he's he's reading algebra. Are you kidding me? You, you, you're not even gonna open I can't the book. Can't believe he bought that. Yeah. Parenting 101. Open the book. Call him out. I mean, even the top of the comic is sticking out of the top of the algebra. Come on. But still, that aside, um, the both characters are kind of bland in terms of personality but another thing that i really didn't like that are you afraid of the dark was doing and and, and I, I i love your ron but i consider this more ron oliver's problem they just had a really intense scene ghastly gunner shows up and they do that cool transition wipe and then all that pathos is now gone and ethan is just being back to board so what's your plan again uh, there that that urgency is completely gone. Uh, I, I hate that about my own episode too. It just it's an abrupt shift, and I wish they just went further with it. it they, they could have kept that 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 energy going and then and escalated slightly. But that's that's not a character thing. That's just a performance thing. I, but I did want to point that out. That that's not going to hurt the character at all. But um, I did. I, I really like that there's two different spectrums. There, there's one that's very much about the artistry and one that's about wanting the collecting and pointing out the tiny little details like a comic book fan would. And there's very much artist and fan. They are two very different aspects, but two very pivotal things whenever you're talking about comic books. So I can't really differentiate. I can't give one side one or the other over this because they both are very good they're cut from the same cloth but they're they're very much uh two sides of the same coin so for main character i'm giving it to both are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps uh villains gosh that's another one uh this to everyone if you've ever heard our judges say judging is hard they're, they're not wrong i mean even whenever we are doing these episodes and trying to combat the other one it is hard 
uh, because these are two very iconic, iconic characters for both of their uh, respective shows. Uh, I, I know that we said that Ghastly Grinner is very much like the Slappy of Goosebumps, but I mean, so is Zebo, and so is the Crimson Clown, and and so is um, the the uh, Nosferatu and uh, Doctor Vink, and I mean, uh, there there's so many iconic looking characters for Are You Afraid of the Dark. There's not as many iconic looks. For goosebumps, uh, you you have Slappy, and you have the Mass Mutant. Uh, those are really the two that I immediately think of when I think of Goosebumps. Uh, but uh, for Ghastly Grinner, you've got that menacing, menacing look. I'm not, I'm not intimidated by the look of Masked Mutant. Uh, whenever I was a kid. I was I was very I, and I've said it before I was a very frightful kid I could not watch Are You Afraid of the Dark I could absolutely watch Goosebumps, but uh, if I saw the Grass the Grinner when I was a kid, the look and that laugh would have made me change the channel so quickly. But, definitely did it for me. <laughs> but Goosebumps, I was I was intimidated, not by the look but by the pure maniacal performance of the masked mutant. He didn't look scary, but he acted terrifying. Even though it's big and campy and over the top, you're playing a big campy over the top supervillain. It fits really well for him. And um, whereas one has an iconic look, I couldn't tell you a single line of dialogue that he said outside of laughing. Whereas uh, the mutant, I could tell you some of the things that he said, especially whenever he was dying. But both, again, are two very iconic uh, pieces of each of their respective shows. And they're both, they both have their weaknesses because Ghastly Grinner, why did it take him so long to, to, to attack again? And then over here for Masked Mutant, I'm sorry, you've been a super villain for how long and you are going to fall for not one, but two really stupid tricks. Hey, look, the silver character, huh? And, <laughs> and then silver <laughs> Skeeter. Yeah. <laughs> and then also being tricked into turning into Lick when you, when you know that kills you. Now, I, again, I know that you had pointed out the, uh, the, the game, but whenever we were kids, we didn't have that. Uh, the, to, to our knowledge, this was the end of that character for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So this was the character's death mm -hmm. for most of our childhood. And for that to be the way that you go out is is kind of a... It, it's a dumpy move. It, uh, I almost rushed or somewhat. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. just... Yeah. yeah. So they both have their iconic looks, their iconic performances, and their kind of stupid moments, too. So, again, there's not one that goes over the other, so... Again, a tie for both uh, villains for Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. Uh, May I interject real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because you said there weren't many memorable quotes from uh, Ghastly Grinner. Even though we're not doing that as a category, I do remember a few. Uh, such as, John, I'm making pizza waffles. Do you want any? Because <laughs> it made me think, well, what's a pizza waffle? Is it like a bagel bite but bigger or for breakfast? And then, of course... There's also now who could use a good laugh when he like turns around after 
you know, mushifying Mr. Wrightson's brain. And then, what's the matter, kid? Don't like the laugh or don't have a sense of humor? And Hooper's like, sorry, no, while she's just hanging there by her pigtails. So there's a few good quotes there. They're just kind of hard to notice with all the action going on. And uh, what? And that was another thing that really bugged me, too. Just going back to the, the characters was how she constantly introduced herself. I, I, I get it. it. It's a comedic trope. But you, you, this character quite literally never left his side at a certain point. And then they cut to a scene, and she's there again, and then she introduces herself again, and he cuts her off again. It's like, no, no, you could do that maybe for meeting the comic uh, store owner. Yes, I'm this character. I sit next to him and blah, 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 and then he could cut her off there. But it, anyway, it's a very nitpicky thing. Uh Use of comic book theme. Uh, holy crap. Uh, again, two very uh, same Kool-Aid, different flavor. Uh, because for one, you have the comic, uh, very much what it's like to find comics as a kid. You have the comic book store. You have the comic artist. You ha you got the, I mean, even at the end, getting to see the comic book artist and have him autograph stuff, uh, all, uh, even though it's kind of a cliche ending. It's, it's a kid's show. It's not, it, who cares? But you, you have all those aspects of reality in there. And then also over on Goosebumps, you had the comic book fans who meticulize over tiny little details. And then also you have getting the comic books in the mail. I mean, that's how we used to get our comics outside of trading and checking them out from the library. Uh, or, or going and getting them at secondhand stores at places, but for the long time, that's how how we got our comics was in the mail, and I had completely forgotten that that's how we got them until I watched this episode. I was like, oh yeah, we used to get them that way. Uh, it was a subscription thing, but also uh, I like how you had two different styles of art, also because uh, you you had it almost felt very Frank Miller style in a way. Uh, like 80s Batman style for uh, Gast <clears throat> Ghastly Grinner, but the uh, Masked Mutant felt almost Archie-like, very pixelated, because that's how they used to do it, was, was tiny little dots, and then you'd pull the picture away and those colors would bleed together. So I like that there was two different styles uh, that they would show, but also over on uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, you, you've got the two villains, which we talked about, but the villain for Are You Afraid of the Dark was really, uh, it almost felt like Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, because it would take over people and and you'd get a comic scenario uh, where almost like when the villain comes into reality, but Goosebumps felt like the, re the, the reality character going into the fantasy because then you got this big fantastical set also, and also you got this added... Uh, feature of the kid beginning to see things from a comic's perspective because he's slowly turning into a comic so there's again again two sides same coin uh, I can't trump one over the other for this one either so uh, again I am going a tie for both and uh, that leaves us down to lasting appeal and how are you going to do this one because lasting appeal they're, they're both fantastic episodes uh, all three are fantastic episodes. Um, Sam, if I'm, if I'm just looking at today's audience, I haven't 
pushed either of these shows on Sam. He just watches them. And Ghastly Grinner, he he was scared of Zebo. He wasn't scared of Ghastly Grinner. And then he watched the Masked Mutant. He wasn't scared of Masked Mutant either. But I have noticed that he has watched more Masked Mutant than Ghastly Grinner. Uh, he, he actually forgot who the Ghastly Grinner was. I had to point it out to him again, but he remembers that Masked Mutant episode. And then I look at the 90s fans, and you talk, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And one of the first ones they say is Ghastly Grinner. They'll say Zebo, and they'll say the Ghastly Grinner. It's almost always those two within the same breath. And then not to mention all the fan things that have been done, as Brett had pointed out. So there is very much a deep love for it that has withstood the test of time, but so has the Master Mutant. Uh, because again, it's even though it's campy and cheesy, 80s Batman is, is, is or 60s Batman is, it's a very much a time capsule, but people still love it today. And people keep coming back to it today too. So just to add a little, <laughs> just want to add in 10 cents. The Mass Mutant also, they also came out with his own video game for the computer. Mm -hmm. So just throwing that in there is an extra. <laughs> I so, wish the Ghastly Grinner had his own video game, but we didn't get that far yet because he only had two issues of a comic book released. Well, I mean, Zebo had his own video game. <laughs> yeah. But he's uh, friends with the Ghastly Grinner. Doesn't that count? <laughs> so again, I got to go with a tie for lasting appeal which is a final score of four for are you afraid of the dark and five for goosebumps and the winner is attack of the mutants well played sir impressive so congratulations congratulations Mass zach Yes. Aha! Superhero. <laughs> well, I, I see. I have a problem because I I love both episodes. They I love are both. Great, I, though. I love yeah, both. I love, I love both shows. But the Mass Mutant has always been my boy. Like, and you were saying as far as icons for Goosebumps, you forgot to say the Haunted Mask. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. That's yeah. what I was trying to lip sync there. Um, but the Mass Mutant was always my favorite book. I've read it more than once. Um, and then I wrote a sequel to it and narrated a creepypasta on my channel for it. There's just something about it. I know it's not scary. It never did scare me. It's entertaining. It's comic book nerdness. Even as a kid, I wasn't scared of it, but I freaking loved it. Like, like there was other episodes that were scary. I, it wasn't about that for me. It was something else, you know? So it's always been my thing. So when I had to choose one, I was like, God, this is hard because I like both, but if I'm gonna judge it based off like fanboy, it's got to. I have to go to the goosebumps side for the mutant. So, which is fair. It's got more going for it overall. Um, question for you, Alex, uh, just because it popped into my head, and I'm kind of curious. Uh, since there is another shapeshifter in Are You Afraid of the Dark, I'm wondering how he would fare against the mass mutant uh, in a shapeshifter off. Uh, basically, the cellar door demon character from the Tale of the Dark Ooh. music. Versus the mass mutant, how do you how do you think that throwdown would go? Uh, in terms of episode or characters, characters, I I would want to give the leg up to uh, mass mutant because he is not limited to one room. 
because he is able to get out and shapeshift uh, in public, whereas uh, the Celador demon, people have to be lured to him. Yeah, that's another one where I wish I knew more about the mechanics of him and how he got stuck in there. If they were able to lure the masked mutant to the cellar door demon and the two of them were in the same area, mm, that would be a good fight. Uh, yeah. I would almost be more inclined to go for the cellar door demon because almost I'm, like he would trap him down there somehow. Cage mess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. He'd be stuck down there. I think he'd be trapped if he if he was able to get him in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just figure I'd throw that out for all the goosebumps and Fear of the dark fans to ponder. No, I like that. Cool. Well, I. Uh... That was, that was a really exciting battle, and uh, I'm glad we finally got to do it because people have been requesting I requested this, this years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I remembered. I, I remembered. Said, <laughs> I said, when you guys do it, please have me on because this, yep. this is my guy. I got to be on it. I also did the, the art in 2020 where I was doing, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark versus Goosebumps art series, which this is inspired by, so it comes full circle. Because that was yes. the first one I did for that with Gas Grant versus Mass Mutant, and I remember you posting and sharing that. Yep, and I think that's what gave me the idea. Please do a show about that. Yeah, it was from that artwork you did. Yeah, funny, funny how that works. Comes yeah. right back. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna do a, a rename game segment and then uh, see what else we'll have up our sleeve before we head out. But we're we're gonna be wrapping things down soon. Alrighty, so for rename game, uh, obviously for those who tune into our versus battles, you know how this works because it's exclusive to versus episodes on our podcast. Uh, so basically, if we're going to rename either of these episodes, what would you choose and why? Uh, it's it's a it's I've been taken. Well, it's not kind of it has been taken, but I was very much falling into the same problem that Zach was, where I couldn't think of better titles to call these two because they are perfect titles for their for both respective shows. But as I guess you could consider this a uh, a runner up category for or a runner up titles, alternate titles, because I, I don't think any of us are going to come up with anything better than Gas Laguna and, and Mass Mutant. Mm -hmm. But uh, because uh, the Gas Laguna was all about jokes and making people laugh, and we had actually referenced earlier very much a Joker vibe, uh, I came up with the tale of the killing joke. Ooh, I like that. Really feels sinister. Uh, Zach, what would you like to rename the Tale of the Ghastly Grinner? I thought about that all day and could not come up with something better well, for either one of them. Uh, <laughs> Tale of Colgate. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, um, the Tale of the Joker's Revenge. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's all okay. I could think of. Yeah. Straight up, yeah. I like the direct approach. And then for me, I'm going to go with uh, the tale of the Joker's Wild because I really like the whole Jester Joker vibe it's got going for it. And I feel like if uh, he had some sort of like X-Men Gambit powers with cards, uh, he'd be pretty good with that, with trapping his victims in addition to making them idiots. So uh, I, I just like the wordplay of it too. I think maybe we've been doing one too many wild card segments lately, so it's been on my mind. And uh, for Attack of the Mutants, Alex, what would you like to rename this one? Uh, pretty basic and simple. Comic Conundrum. Ooh, like the alliteration. You know, I, I couldn't come up with anything better than Attack of the Mutant. It's straightforward. Um, I'm drawing a blank there. I actually never did come up with an answer for that one. 
mutants puddly mess. Well, I came up. Oh, I came up with the sequel that I did, Return of the Mutant, where I wanted him to be alive again. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I could. So I came up with a really catchy title. If there ever was a sequel, but as far as to rename the original, I I can't think of anything. Okay, then we will just put none. That's fine. Sorry, it's okay. All good. <laughs> I, I it, this up, one was tough. Yeah. Yeah, both of them got the GG and the, the mass mutant going on, so uh, it, it, it tells you what it's about. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, I really liked the journey of Skipper as he was kind of uncovering what was going on with, you know, his whole world being turned into a comic book world thanks to the the mass mutant luring him to his lair. So I'm going to go with Skipper's comic book caper because it very much felt like a mystery adventure to me. Cool. So those those are our titles, and uh, we will post them on Instagram after this episode has been released, and everyone can vote on there to see which one they prefer the most. All right, well, before we go to uh, our closing question, Brett, I, I, I think Mona came by with a, a few letters for us, didn't she? Yeah, I know. I miss her. We haven't seen her in a while, but I think we got a couple of letters to read today. So uh, I'm happy that she delivered them. So let's see what they have to say. Let's do it. Help! These are for you. Okay, so uh, our first letter comes from Al Daniel, who has been a, a loyal fan of us. I know he wrote in to us before around the Hair and Old Pigeon Man field trip episode, Bell. So it's good to hear from you again, Al. Uh, here's what he has to say, and he uh, also messaged uh, BOC as well, who's practically like our sister brother podcast at this point. Uh, he says, hello, gut buckets, blowholes, slimesters, and gacoids. Amid the Barbie buzz, in anticipation of several more Mattel-issued toy-based film adaptations, I thought it'd be fun to fantasize about a full-length Action League Now feature, either by envisioning one for the future or imagining if Nickelodeon movies had pursued it back in the day. As of... The leading voices of 90s Nickelodeon nostalgia. Would any of you and or recurring guests care to comment for a write-up I might do on this topic? Namely, what the plot would be, who you cast and why, who you want to guest stars themselves, whether you even like the idea at all, etc. Let me know if you have any thoughts. Best, Al. I already uh, gave my two cents, so you can share yours if you'd like. <laughs> oh, goodness. Let me, let me pull long. up let me pull up the uh, email again so that way I can because I, I don't want to skim over I want to because because it was it's a fantastic question I love the idea I love the idea of Action League now feature length uh, it, it almost feels like a more child version of Team America which mm -hmm. I, I am yep. I am all for uh, let's see what were your questions um, would any of you or your recurring guests care to comment on a write-up i might do i if, if you have a write-up for it or, or yes i want to hear it uh, because i i love action league now uh the plot gosh it's got to be I, I feel like it would have to be something that would start small but then mm -hmm. continuously escalate to a ridiculous degree um just because that feels like the uh, but it would be like at the at the fault of 
the action league now. Like they might thwart whatever the main villain is doing, what the mayor is doing, but in doing so, they've accidentally set off events to have something bigger go off. And then they've yeah. got to go take care of that. But whenever they finish that, they've started something else that makes work and they keeps going. And then uh, it'd be funny if like Meltman was the one who ultimately right. saved the day. He actually uses his powers to good use. <laughs> Like he melts a puddle that someone slips into and gets caught by the police when he crashes into the back of a police car or something. <laughs> uh, yes, stars. Um, I I would almost want to keep it uh, as few guest stars as possible. It would be fun to have Kiss come back again <laughs> since they were on uh, an episode. Um, so it would it would be fun if they would show up at the tail end. And were they action them. figures? Yes, they were. They were oh, Kiss nice. action figures. And uh, of, of course, it wasn't. I don't think it was really Kiss. It might have been because they mm-hmm. would do it. I need to look into it again. On an off day in Berlin, the band visited a recording studio to record their voices for a new Nickelodeon animated short, Action League Now, starring the Kiss action figures. being part of the show, but I like it. Is this the final stop on the KISS tour? Will the loudest band in the land be silenced forever? Not if I can help it. I think it's a great idea, and I'd love to to explore this idea more. Definitely. And Slimesters, if you're listening to this, um, share with us your own responses to Al, too. We're curious what you have to say about it, because it's a really good question. Um, I, I For some reason, I'm thinking of Robot Chicken now. Like, I would love to see, like, Action League now, Robot Chicken crossover of some sort, like that nerdy guy that they always reuse, or some of the other action figures that are more prominent um or even like action figures of nickelodeon parodies like action figure phil moore getting in on the action with action league now i mean the possibilities are endless there but i would um, want to keep it stop motion i wouldn't want to yeah, make a live action adaptation that's that's far less fun yeah no cgi either keep it practical with the actual action figures mm-hmm. and uh, over in my um end of the comic book panel uh, my, my very dear friend Eric Stranger, who I've referenced in our Season 4 overview, uh, he is the host of the Ghost of Thor radio show, and I had me on as a guest there once. Uh, he is oftentimes sharing our episodes. Almost every time we post an episode, he is sharing it. So he's, he's a big advocate for our show, and uh, I will say that he is a bit on the outs for most of our content because he he was not allowed to watch a lot of Nickelodeon shows, but he loves the We'll Be Right Backs and he loved the Meg Reacts because we were outside of Nickelodeon realm for most of that. And he resonated with a lot of that, but every once in a while he would tune in and uh, he sent me this very wonderful message. And uh, I know that he had said 
this mostly directed toward me, but I've also heard many of these same comments directed towards Brett. So I am taking this as this is also in effect for both Brett and myself, uh, because we've heard others tell us this as well. So with that being said, this is what Eric had to say in a comment that he allowed me to share with all of you. He said, I genuinely appreciate your content. You have a calming presence with your voice. You do everything with a smile. It feels like a labor of love. You actually provide family-friendly entertainment that kids will probably find interesting without directly catering to them. You speak with fondness and appreciation for your memories. You provide a platform for people who are looking for a place to share their experience. There are thousands more reasons that I could give you. The long and short of it is that you have created a great product, something that brings value and enriches people's lives. Keep up the good work. I appreciate you using the group uh, to promote the show. It makes the whole page look better. And then in parentheses, I'm a big fan of the slime, LOL. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric, for writing into us. That, that means a lot to us uh, coming to from you with your uh, heartfelt words and recognizing that we're, we're just doing this as two guys with a couple of friends who help us write notes and edit and hoping it'll become something bigger than ourselves uh, in, in the coming years as we keep pursuing it. So uh, as long as we keep rallying support one by one, fan by fan, you know, we'll definitely do great things to help preserve and honor the Slimefield past as you know, we set out to do. So uh, thank you for that and uh, keep spreading the word to everyone else who would probably enjoy our content. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Eric. I truly appreciate it. Appreciate you. Okay, so um, that was a great versus, guys. Uh, any final thoughts before we head out today? This was a super tough one. I think this may be the toughest one that I have had to be a part of yet. Uh, both mm. of these are great episodes, and I really, I really also appreciate that Goosebumps is going just about toe to toe with Are You Afraid of the Dark more so than what people would initially think whenever we start to really look at the the different parts to it but also a big thank you to zach for coming out and being a part of this episode and suggesting it and for defending for it and it's been great I mean, we followed and each for other winning it. and we've yeah. been uh, following <laughs> each other on social media for a while and it's finally actually nice to get to talk with you so absolutely thank you absolutely thank you yeah i i've been waiting for this one for a long time like you said it's pretty crazy how well they evened out you know one being goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark actually being so toe-to-toe when Are You Afraid of the Dark was known for a little bit older of an audience, like mm -hmm. pre-teen pre compared to, you know, five to 11-year-olds, you know, for Goosebumps on the younger side, for it to be able to hold its own towards an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode in general is is a win. And, and, and even, if I, even if the mutant lost today, just knowing that it stood toe-to-toe -to -toe on so many of the different categories that we discussed tonight is an achievement in itself just because goosebumps was a younger era show so yes very much <laughs> yeah it was it was excellent i love this this was fun well we're glad that we could have you here especially reconnecting after many years of kind of floating around in the internet and just talking about what we love most we love we all of us love both of these tv series uh mm -hmm. regardless of i still how... watch them <laughs> yeah me too i mean not no shame in that you love what you love and it's just great that we 
can come together and celebrate that through episodes like this. So again, thank you, Zach, for being here. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again for something Ari for the Dark or Goosebumps related. Sounds great. Alrighty, uh, here's our closing question for all you Slimesters. What are some of your favorite 90s Nickelodeon supervillains you'd like to see go head-to-head in the ring? Write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at splatattackpodcast or just interact with us wherever you find us on social media. Until then, Alex, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? My science teacher threw my uh, comic collection in the fish tank, so I gotta go dry them with my microwave. Aye, aye, go, Captain. Now be careful. You don't want to blow a fuse. Never fear. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, uh, wait. Brad? Yeah? Brad, did, did your house just explode? I... There's a big smoldering hole outside my door, and I just moved in here. Oh, my gosh. Uh, don't tell anyone. I'll, I'll get it fixed in the morning. <laughs> Back. Society closed.